Welcome back to another episode of Sharing Knowledge Series. I'm Kevin Vondro, Chief Lending Officer at West Hill Bank and your host. Today we have two industry experts to share their analysis of current market and economic outlook for 2024. Keep watching this episode to find out what our experts think the coming year holds. Welcome back to another episode of Sharing Knowledge Series. I'm your host, Kevin Bondaro. Today, we're going to be talking about the economy and really give some information or guidance to consumers and, and business owners out there. We have two special guests joining us here today, repeat guests from, from our show. And joining us here today is Brian Toma, Managing Partner with FHT Advisors. Yeah, well, thank you for having me back. This has become such a fun experience right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, so good to be back. And uh, so uh, Managing Partner FHT Advisors, we uh, actually service clients in about 32 states. Uh, located all throughout Ohio, accredited investment fiduciaries, certified financial planners, just helping people guide through times like this, you know, that can kind of be uncertain and help them answer some questions and, and really understand the risks that they need to take. So thank you for having me back. Oh, and, it's our pleasure. Yeah. It's always a lot of fun. And our other guest is our very own Mike Toth, who's president and CEO of West Hill Bank. And Mike, why don't you give a little background on, on yourself? Sure. Uh, happy to be here and talking about the economy. It's fun to talk about the economy, especially when you know you're going to be wrong. Absolutely. Probably within a day or two. Uh, but I'm president and CEO of uh, Westfield Bank. We're a $2 billion plus community bank headquartered here in Northeast Ohio. Uh, we also serve insurance agencies and register investment advisor clients across the country. So been in existence now for 22 years, which is amazing. Yeah, great. Well, both, thank you for joining us and uh, as we look forward to talking about today's topic. So let's talk more about maybe some of those outside influences that uh, can impact the economy, Brian. So good question. I, I, candidly, we would be here all day, you know, talking about a lot of these influences, but a few things that I, I watch are consumer sentiment that's actually ticking up their off their lows. Um, if you ask a lot of people how they're feeling at the moment, You'll, you'll get a lot of negative comments, but they're off their lows, and I think we need to focus on that. Um, two, we have interest, interest rates have continued to tick up, and they didn't go up recently. Um, we're calling for the Fed to actually hopefully um, kind of pause for the moment. Don't know if it's going to be true or not. Uh, one of the things that I think caused a lot of the issues that we're in at the moment is I believe that the Fed was a little late to raise rates. And my concern would be they're going to be late to cut the rates. And so that's one thing that I'm watching. Uh, the other thing, as I mentioned, consumer sentiment, but also the small business sentiment, the, the, the minds of small business owners and how they see what's happening in the future is a little bit negative at the moment. Um, so a confluence of all of those things, our economy is growing, we're expecting growth, um, but I think we're expecting a little muted growth than, than what we have in the past. Well, GDP is still the largest G GDP on, in, in, on the planet, right? Yes. I mean, when you compare it to other countries out there. Yes. So we have a lot of positives going for us. Mike, Yeah, maybe just a couple other things that I would add. Certainly the geopolitical environment has is having an impact sure. on the economy. We look at the, the recent UAW strike uh, that has an impact on the economy. Uh, there are just so many things that are creating... Um, a, a negative impact on the economy and so much ambiguity that is probably affecting consumer sentiment and business sentiment. And all of that is going to have, I believe, the same impact as Fed rate movement. Yeah. So I know we'll probably talk about Fed interest rates here shortly, but 
it's important to recognize that there are a lot of different things that have an impact on the economy beyond just the Fed making adjustments to interest rates. No, you're right. And and some things that I don't think people realize or or forget about is is this Fed is shrinking the money supply, right? They're reducing their balance sheet. There's not the stimulus that was out there two years ago that was flooding the market and creating all that liquidity for people. So there's actually less money in supply than there was in the past. And that, that has an impact. That's true. I, just to add to that point, I would also add that uh, all that stimulus has put the consumer, the typical consumer, in a much better position than they've been historically. So if you look, it may not feel like it, mm-hmm. but if you look at consumer balance sheets, there's more net worth, there's more cash, there's more money, hopefully, to get them through what could be a, a tough road ahead here over the next 12 to 18 months. So that's a good point, Mike. And like as we look into 2024, like what are some of those impacts or, or what are some of the things we should be looking at um, to really forecast or not forecast, but manage through that as, as we as we talk to the business owners and, and consumers out there listening to this this podcast? So, so what are some of the things that should be top of mind for them? Yeah, so, so for me, I would be, you have to grow or die. You know, when you're in business, you have to continue to grow your revenue, and you obviously have to watch bottom line. And, and it's, it's been easier, in my opinion, to take risk in the previous years, um, but with cost of money is, is obviously higher, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there are geopolitical risks pointing at a potential downturn in the market economy or at least a pullback a little bit. Um, I would be more thoughtful with the risks that you take. You still have to grow, um, but just be more thoughtful about um, the risks that you're taking, the cost of the money, um, and, and, and more model out the potential options instead of saying, hey, let's buy this. Be, I think I'm not saying people were flippant, but I think we just have to be thoughtful. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not risk averse. I would just be cautious in the, in the next few months. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, although I might have a slightly contrarian view around the grow or die. I guess my view is that not all periods of time represent the same opportunities for growth. Sure. So grow or die, I completely agree with, especially if you're looking at it over an extended period of time. But there are some years where um, kind of going into the defensive mode and taking a, a more risk-averse posture might be helpful. And if I look at all the economic indicators that exist right now, there is more ambiguity in our economy today than there's been historically. And and we've already touched on a couple of them, the geopolitical risk. We've got a new presidential election coming up next year, which could create some interesting challenges for the economy. So in those periods of ambiguity, uh, it's good to have a defensive posture. Um, It's also an opportunity uh, for businesses to potentially leap ahead of some of their competitors because chaos always creates opportunity. And while we're likely to experience some additional chaos here, uh, if we have business owners that are thinking about either expansion or uh, making an investment that allows them to leapfrog, it may be a good opportunity. Um, but having said that, there's a lot of ambiguity in where the economy is headed. No, that's a good point. And you brought up the election. I'd like to maybe talk a little bit more about the election. I know, Brian, we were talking you know, like off camera about like the impacts that the election has on, on the economy. I don't know if you want to expand on that or, or, or talk a little bit more. Yeah, so a few things to add is, you know, next year we not only have U.S. presidential, presidential election, but we also have a presidential election in Russia and Ukraine as well. Mm-hmm. 
And so there's a lot of things going on in the world that could have a massive impact on you know, just the general you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years of the world. So there, next year, in my opinion, um, this presidential election is probably one of the most important that I've seen in a really long time. Uh, it's very interesting data. So if you have a Democratic president, which we have right now, uh, with a Republican that is elected as president next, the market has tended to be average around 12 or 13 percent in, in a year like that. If you have a Democratic president like we have today and they're reelected or another Democrat is elected, then the market is actually higher than that, about 15 percent in a, in a typical presidential election year. So the data is actually pretty cool if you look back, but 83 percent of the time in election years, the market tends to be positive. What about interest rates? I mean, what, what are we thinking interest rates are going to be? Like you mentioned, Brian, that it feels like there's a pause and, and maybe it's going to continue to be a pause. Um, Mike, what do you think uh, as we look in forecasts into 2024? Sure. So I'll share just a couple of data points here. So right now, interest rates are the highest they've been for 22 years. Oh. Having said that, I believe it's 10 of the last 15 years, rates have been at or near zero. So we haven't been operating in what you might refer to as a more traditional or typical interest rate environment for a very long time. Having said all that, again, our, our rates are the highest they've been for a long time. Uh, the probability of a market uh, or a rate increase between now and the end of the year, I'd looked at this morning, it's right around 10%. And I actually believe that's a little bit higher than that. And the reason I believe that there might be one more rate increase is that the Fed has been very, very vocal about their target of getting back to a 2% inflation rate. I don't think that they're going to come up short on that. If it's one more rate increase to ensure that uh, inflation is headed in the right direction, I think they'll do it. Uh, the caveat for all of that, though, is that all this ambu ambiguity around other things that impact the economy are in play. The geopolitical environment, the you know, recent UAW strikes, the risk of a government shutdown. Uh, there are so many things that could have a negative impact on, on the economy. And that in and of itself could create the same impact of a, as a Fed rate increase. So I think there's maybe one more rate increase. Um, if you look at the, uh, the dot plot, the dot plot represents the view of the 19 different members of the FOMC, the Federal Reserve, that basically sets interest rates. Each of those individuals creates a view of what they think rates are going to do over the next three to four years. Um, there's never any consensus, and I would say that's also true uh, if you look at the most recent dot plot. But the dot plot from... Uh, the individuals that set interest rates has a view that basically has rates going down 300 basis points between now and the end of 2026. So their collective view is that rates will go down. Again, there's no consensus. So if you look at the spread of the, uh, of the dots on the dot plot, they're pretty wide. Some of the interest rate rate setters are suggesting that rates might go up. Others are suggesting that rates might go down. But if you try to aggregate all of their views together, it shows about a 300 basis point rate drop. No, no, that's interesting. And I think the one thing where consumers and, and business owners need to be aware of is while rates will probably go down, they're still gonna be higher. The, the average is gonna be higher than what they normally been. Prime was three, like in the mid threes. 
you're, you're probably gonna look something closer to six percent is, is going to be that that neutral rate and right now we're eight and a half percent yeah so and, and to add to that so so I, i'm in agreement maybe just in a different slightly different way how to get there we're working on data that tends to be in the past right so we tend to make rate increase or decrease decisions based on data that is a little old so in my opinion while the fed i think was really late my conservatives are going to be very late again to cut um and if they do another increase which i think that they'll do um not because i think it needs to happen but i think that they want to be seen as being right and in my opinion so so i think they'll raise them a couple more times i don't think that they actually need to because of all the other um downward pressure you know points that i think is going to get us there automatically and so that's my concern is we kind of kind of raise them a little bit a little bit higher than what we should um i'm i'm expecting and hopeful that we see starting decreases in june of next year um and what i've read is we're expecting an 80 po 80 basis point drop by the end of next year who knows yeah i think um just to add on one thought there because i think you bring up a very important uh, point and that's when a action is taken there is a delay until there's you see the impact of that and that's a principle called economic lag mm -hmm. so if there's another rate increase let's say it's uh, in the december meeting we don't really know what the impact is going to be on the economy for many months later so i think that's something that we need to keep in mind if it's not an instant impact on the economy there is a lag and time will tell whether they made the right decision or the wrong decision, but we won't know right away. No. All right, that's a good point, Mike. And, and I think one thing we have taken into consideration is, is long-term rates, because those could have the same effect as, as uh, a rate increase. And if so, if those long-term rates continue to increase, there may not need to be another rate hike. Um, as you mentioned, there's other influences out there. The other thing I'd like to add to that is we always see 25 basis point increase, 50 basis point, yeah. 75. I'd love to see him come out with 13.2. You know, why does it always have to be, you know, an actual, you know, 25? Why does it have to be so, uh, you know, one of those three options? So it, it doesn't seem as calculated when you hear of a rate increase, when you hear 25 basis points. It should be 23.2 yeah. or something, you know, more calculated. Like a mortgage loan, they deal in eighths instead of quarters. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that would be interesting to see if they can hone in their data and calculate that, um, you know, more accurately. Yeah. yeah. The other thing too is, you know, like you hear a lot about soft landing, hard landing for the economy, and you're looking into, into 2024, and it feels at least more indications are it could be softer or soft-ish landing. Um, so I'm curious what, what your opinions on, and I know, Ryan, you may have a different outlook because you may look at the market versus the economy mm -hmm. on a softer, hard landing, but. Uh, Mike, what's your thoughts on a softer, hard landing? For so if I look at a number of the economic indicators that are out there, GDP is still growing. Well, Unemployment rate is below 4% still, and prices are still going up. So my view is that we will continue to see growth next year, albeit at a slower pace than we've seen historically, which by definition, I guess, would be a soft landing. So I don't see a hard landing scenario happening based on where the economic indicators are today. Yeah, so I wholeheartedly agree with all that. And I will take it from a perspective of the market, yeah. since, since we agree on that. Um, 
I will say that given the volatility in the market and what we anticipate, I do th I do see some risk in, in the market. And and we know the data, you know, historically, you never know if it's going to happen in the future of what we can expect in the presidential election year and if the GDP is growing. We know that. Um, but valuations are high, especially in large cap growth stocks. So things need, there's always what they call a reversion to the mean or to its average. So if it's above average, it tends to kind of revert back and we're see, we, we need to see that, right? In order to make things, um, you know, more investable in my opinion. And there's some opportunities out there, um, but I do see a lag in the market, which I think will create one of the best buying opportunities for our future. And when you hear buying opportunity, that means the market went down. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that consumers have a lot of cash on hands, which is good for you guys, mm -hmm. right? Um, and deposits are up, savings account rates are up. Um, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines that can potentially push the market higher once we get through a rough time. Mm -hmm. As far as a soft landing goes, um, you know, we all deal with business owners uh, all across the country. And I, I would submit that the landing is, is unique to every individual. While it may be a soft landing for the economy, um, with how rates are going, there may be recessions within the economy that doesn't call for a true broad-based recession. No. So I think we're gonna see sector-based uh, recessions. And so if you say, hey, it's a soft landing, but for that particular business owner, it feels like a hard one. I think it's hard to put that name on it. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're going to see some volatility throughout throughout the broad-based economy recessions here and there. And, and, um, and you tend to see, after an inverted yield curve, you tend to see a recession, which we're there. Right. We just have been kind of waiting for yeah. it. Waiting it's, for it's, it. We've been an inverted yield curve probably the longest since the 80s, or maybe even longer than yeah. it was in the 80s, which is, I, I think, is, is really confusing because usually, you're right, it, it, it points to a recession, but you still have consumer spending um, that I think is helping out a lot in low unemployment, and those are the two yeah. key factors that are, are really keeping everything um, moving ahead. And as you mentioned, Mike, it, it's growing, but it's slow. And, and I think that's something we're gonna have to manage through, uh, not only in 24, but beyond. Yeah, I think um, I looked at the GDP growth forecast over the next few years, and it's less than 1% each year, but I think it's important to realize it's still positive. Yes. It's not negative, it's still positive, albeit small, but still positive. So we've been talking a lot about opinions and, and where we feel the economy is gonna be in 2024. What are some of the key indicators? We, we mentioned some of them already and, and maybe summarize some of them or, or, or talk about some different ones that our viewers can, can go to and look at because you know, like they need to formulate their own opinion or, or maybe their business is a little bit different. What are some things they, or, or their individual um, investment strategy is different? What are some of the things they should be looking at? Brian, what are, what are some of the key indicators that you like to watch? So this really isn't an indicator, but it's something that I think shows how the market's actually performing. If you look at the S&P 500, I give you a little investing 101. The S&P 500 is what they call market cap weighted. So the larger the company, the larger the market cap of the company, the more heavily weighted it is within the index. So when you look at the S&P 500 and say, is it truly representative of 500 companies that are publicly traded in the United States? And I would submit the answer is no. It's, so it's about seven to 10 of the largest companies within the S&P drive the index. So if it's doing really well, does that really mean that our economy and our companies are all doing well? And so I actually look at the S&P compared to the equal weight S&P 
to show all of the companies equally weighted and how are they doing. The disparity between those two numbers are some of the biggest I've ever seen, meaning the, the smaller companies within the S&P are not performing as well from a stock market perspective as the others. And so there's always that reversion to the mean, right, that I mentioned. So those have to come together. And they started off together in 22 and 23, but they've widened. And so I think that that's something to watch. And it's not, an, it's not a particular index. It's just kind of a perspective. Um, I also look at the small business consumer or small business optimism index um, because they really have a pulse on what they see in the future. Earnings of publicly traded companies were actually really, really they were actually really good in uh, the third quarter of this year, but their guidance in the in the future was a lot lower than expected. So we're seeing weaker sentiment in the future. So I would watch that. Another one to watch, I, last year I talked about the Big Mac Index, which I think is just fun to Google and watch. <laughs> uh, but look at the Misery Index. And the Misery Index kind of talks about, you know, if it's falling, obviously, it's, it's a good metric to watch. So there's, I can make a case for both sides. And I think that leads to, you got to understand the risk that you have to take, rather than what you are taking. You really need to spend time with your bankers and your CPAs and your advisors to say, how much, how much risk do I actually have to take? And I wouldn't add any more undue risk at the moment. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Like, I'm talking to a lot of customers now, and we're looking at year ends and, and talking about what's gonna, what they're looking at in 2024. And we're hearing a lot of you know, like consistency. There's still consistent performance out there. Uh, and they expect 2024 to be the same. You know, when they go and look at backlogs, are, are still steady. I, but I think there's still that, um, and like there's a little bit of concern out there or and, and being more thoughtful as you mentioned as they look into 2024 um and some of the challenges they they, they may see right. from that standpoint mike what about some of the we talked about some of the key indicators from my perspective a couple economic indicators that i look at are gdp um, gdp is typically an indicator of whether we will have future loan problems from uh, loan repayment problems i should say so that's an important indicator for us as bankers to, to track is GDP uh, trends. Unemployment is a related one that is something that I look at. I also look at the probability of a rate increase. Um, in banking, interest rates have a very significant impact on uh, bank balance sheets and income statements. So understanding the trends associated with uh, interest rates or looking forward to the probability of another rate increase or decrease has uh, very direct impacts and correlations to uh, banking. So those are uh, a few additional indicators that I look at or metrics. There is one tool out there that I find very, very effective. It's called Economy Now. And it's an app that can be downloaded. It's produced on a regular basis by the Atlanta Fed. And you can download it to your mobile phone and get real-time updates on all those metrics that I just talked about. Yeah, and, and they have, part of that's the GDP now that they have that they, they uh, produce as well. That's probably one of the more accurate GDP um, calculations out there. And I think that's key for business owners really to, to focus on because if there's gonna be growth in the economy, then you know you have opportunity for growth in your business. And, and that's something they should be thinking about when they're creating their forecasts for, for th 2024. What advice do you give to the listeners out there? and how to prepare and, and what to do in 2024. 
Mike, we'll start with you. Okay. okay. All right. The setup question, I guess. Um, I guess a couple things. Um, first of all, just going back to my prior comment, there was so much ambiguity. Um, I think this is a good time for business owners to be deliberate and intentional with their cash. So if you have extra cash, uh, you can dividend in out at the end of the um, at the end of the year, like a lot of business owners do, or you can keep the cash on the sideline for maybe one of these opportunistic events that I talked about earlier. It could be an acquisition, it could be a favorable terms on a piece of equipment, uh, but there's just so much ambiguity that I think it is probably the right time to be a bit more conservative with how you. Uh, think about and leverage your cash as we get to the end of the year. Uh, I'd also say now is probably more important than ever to um, keep your sights set on your competition. Understand what they're doing. Uh, understand whether they're being aggressive and proactive in their actions or if they're on the defensive as well. Because again, I think chaos creates opportunity, but it requires a business owner be to be deliberate and intentional on how they evaluate and look at that that chaos. Yeah, they have that dry powder, take advantage of those seconds. And I, I agree with all of those. I'll just add a few things. And I mention this every year. I'm a big dream team guy. So um, if you're a business owner or an individual or a family, surround yourself with a dream team with people that you trust. Get a good banker that you trust, CPA, lawyer, financial advisor. Um, make sure that they know what your goals are. If you're a business owner, they need to know do you plan on retiring soon? Um, do you want to sell it soon? Um, the moment that people are all on the same page with where you want to go, your results will be better. But they got to know what you want. And so build yourself a dream team and trust them. Um, so I would say that. I think, I think communication is key to that. And then they're communicating together as a team. 100%. And it's, it's not siloed. And, and that's where, especially in like from from our history examples that's when companies really work and have the best results is when they're the team the team is working together and rowing in the same direction and they know what absolutely. the goals are absolutely so yeah i totally agree with that dream team rowing in the same direction and and working for you and you got to trust them and if there's somebody on your team that you don't want to share something with it's not the right fit right um and I would also add, if you're a business owner, work with an advisor or lawyer or CPA who owns their own business. They have to know what you're dealing with. Um, they got to know the tax implications, um, the, the issues in HR, employees dealing with people. They really need to know what's going on in your mind. So find somebody that's like you and that you can trust. Take care of the people that are taking care of you and your business. And, and um, if they're making you happy, and they're helping you run your business, you gotta take care of them. Especially now, finding somebody costs a lot more, training, downtime, you name it, take care of the people that are taking care of you. And I don't think that we talk about that enough. We're talking about running businesses, but the people who are running the business tend not to be the business owner. And I think we need to focus on them. I referenced the dot plot earlier. I think this is something that it would be wise for business owners and decision makers and companies to monitor, especially if there's a big capital investment that's planned in the near future that is going to require financing. Because the reality is borrowing costs are just higher now. Yeah. They're higher for all of us, including us as a bank. Our borrowing costs are higher too. Uh, and it's important if you're thinking about large capital investments and you're going to be borrowing 
as part of the funding source for those capital investments to look at the uh, forecast on interest rates because it might be a much more affordable purchase a year from now versus today. So having some view on where rates are headed and building that view into how you think about acquisition and capital investments is, would be a wise move for business owners to think about. Can I add to that? Sure. So the other thing to know is when we're heading into a succession plan environment, right, where you might want to buy a business, sell a business, whatever it may be, get with your advisor uh, mm -hmm. because what's important is you got to know what you need to get out of the business in order for it to be a good sale for you. And the one thing that we've seen is we what we really should be is the first line. Have your financial planner model it out because you may say my business is worth $10 million, whatever the $5 million. Um, but if you come back after a modeling event and, and you say, wow, if your advisor says you, you could do, you could get $4 million instead of $5 million, but you could sell it three years sooner, would you go now? So, so knowing what you need in the future, I think, is a really big deal because a lot of it would take their risk off the table, family risk off the table, and allow them to enjoy their lives after the business that they built. And some people tend to wait too long because they think they need more than they actually do. Um, so just know what you need, I guess, is my point. Well, that's a good point. Now, we talked a little bit, or not a little bit, a lot about ambiguity in the market. So what are some ways that our, our listeners can look to protect their investments? What are some products and services out there? Once again, know your risk. So, so um, have a financial plan, whether you're a business owner, individual, family, you name it, um, know the level of risk that you have to take. If, if you need 20% in the market, um, or if you don't need 20% in the market, then don't invest that way. Um, especially in time like this where sentiment is kind of down, but it's trending upward and, and there's some ambiguity, you know, that we talked about. So just know the level of risk that you have to take. And if you can afford to, if it still achieves your goals, to reduce risk in a meaningful way, I would do that. And the conversation that we're having is, you know, would you be okay going up less in a good time if you lost meaningfully less in a bad time? And more often than not, the, the answer is yes. Um, the people want more of a level ride. You think of like the bumper bowling and yeah. you know, the, the bumper bowling style, you know. So try to stay in that lane and reduce risk wherever you can. And there's a lot of opportunity. Savings rates, savings account rates at banks are higher than they have been in a really long time. So I would take advantage of that in the FDIC, and I'm sure you'll talk about that. Um, but reduce risk if you don't need to take it. Mm -hmm. What about long-term bonds? I mean, you're talking rates are high right now and, and, and there's like possibility of them going down in the future. Is it, is it a good time to look at bonds? Yeah, so, so a little you know, fixed income bond one-to-one is as interest rates rise, bonds go down or the prices of bonds go down. So yeah. I think one of the disservices that sometimes when you watch the news is you see something that says rates have spiked up. Well, that means that the principal went down, you yeah. know? So it's kind of a perspective thing. So when you think about fixed income, they tend to be focused on interest. But you also have to focus on what is the principal dollar doing? 
Like what, what is your actual investment doing? And so if we do see some, some rate increases, we are going to see the value of those bonds come down before they start to take off again. So once again, be thoughtful with the risk. Um, there are some great opportunities, absolutely, in that market, in the municipal market. Um, you just have to be thoughtful in how much risk you need to take. I think that the, the key is you can't bet the market, right? If you're going to do something, you got to be long-term, and you got to be strategic about it. Mike, what about on the banking side? Yeah, I, I guess I would offer, don't forget about local bank deposits. Um, they're FDIC insured, and for many clients, that's really, really important. Um, I think a lot of clients don't understand that uh, banks like Westfield Bank have access to tools that allow clients to be uh, FDIC insured for hundreds of millions of dollars in excess of 100 million, maybe I'll leave it at that. Uh, anyways, it's a lot of money and it's not 250,000. We have lots of ways that we can either structure or products that we can leverage to increase the FDIC insured um, deposits for our, for our clients. So don't forget about that. Um, so that, that's probably one of the, the, the best tools to, for, for clients that are worried about uh, protecting their capital to, to leverage. The other thing I would uh, suggest we remember, we were talking about this earlier when we were talking about money market accounts. We offer money market accounts that are FDIC insured. There are also money market funds that you can get that sometimes will offer higher yields, but they don't come with the FDIC insurance. And a lot of times I think our uh, clients and investors forget that an FD, uh, that a money market account is not the same as purchasing a money market fund. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Anytime you get higher returns, there's always going to be more risk, right? That's the risk reward. It's, it's no. just it's just how it works. And I would also submit one of the things that has made us unique in the investing world is we've been U.S. only investors since um, 2016. And and while a lot of our um, colleagues in the business have said, you know. How can you do that? We, we've tested the data. And one thing that we've noticed with international investing, and I'm not saying we're against it, but I haven't seen the data to prove otherwise, is adding international funds to a portfolio has added risk, volatility, standard deviation, actually cost more money and provided no additional return over the last 30 years. So from a data perspective, while diversification works, um, I would submit that the world is a little flatter than what it used to be when modern portfolio theory was written. I can buy an iPhone and I'm supporting or investing in India and China. So do I want to buy a Chinese stock and take that currency risk? I don't know that I need to at the moment. And so I would drive your you know, advisory firm to kind of look at the data. Um, we've been US only and it's actually, it's actually worked out really well. And, and our clients like that story. No. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so, so I would just be thoughtful on the the risk, and it's not just here; it's currency risk, and it's volatility, you know, elsewhere. So, just um, understand what you own. I think is a really big thing. And if you can't explain it to your friend when you're out to dinner, you probably shouldn't own it. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. So, I guess to sum things up, or in, in summary, when we look at at uh, 2024, we can expect growth although limited or, or low growth as we look at it. Rates are, are probably close to their peak and, and may look to come down, but I think we have to be used to having higher than normal rates that we're used to the last, the last 10 years. 
And I, I think the key is we need to be more thoughtful and strategic in our decisions now than ever, um, just based on all the ambiguity in the market. So our, our, my last question I always ask our guests is what's on their watch list? What's, what's important to them and that they think would be interesting to our viewers? Yeah, a few things. One is the, the presidential election in the United States, Russian, Russia and Ukraine. I think those are really big things to watch next year. Um, two, uh, AI, where everybody's talking about AI and ChatGPT and, and you name it. And while everyone is excited about it, and it, it is pretty cool, um, my sense is it's going to feel like when the internet came out. Everybody's all excited about it, but true how it is used in the day-to-day -day in the mass, amount of, of biz, mass amounts of business, I think is going to be a longer slog than what we think. And there's a lot we don't know. And it's still candidly wrong a lot. That's us to say. So, and, and we've tested it. I mean, if you do calculations with it, it, it can be wrong. So the other thing that, that we're watching is, you know, the adoption rate of AI is going to actually be, I think, a lot slower than what we're seeing. It's just, it's just not something that, a lot of the kids like to talk about it, and the bigger companies are using it, but it's not reducing costs the way that we're expecting. Um, so those are the few things that I'm watching. And then electric cars. While there is a drive worldwide about that, our companies have to figure out how to be profitable. They have to be profitable when they make these. So I think that's the one thing that I'm watching is how can the e-car business learn how to turn a profit? No, and, and that's a good point, even though they're environmentally friendly, it's what do you do when you have to dispose of the batteries? There's still some ish, environmental issues that sure. they still need to be you know, like tackled or solved from that standpoint. Mike, what's, what's on your watch list? Um, maybe I'll approach the question just slightly differently. Like what do I watch to or who do I watch to get perspective and offer two, um, two names. Uh, Elliot Eisenberg, um, some of you might know him as the Bowtie Economist. He produces a daily blog and the blog is very short, easy to read, easy to digest. Uh, so that's always on my watch list. And uh, the other one is Dr. Ed Seafried. Um, and it goes by Dr. Ed uh, from Seafried and Brew. And he's been a very long-standing uh, um, uh, economist that has helped influence how bankers think and understand the economy. And uh, so he's another person that's on my watch list as well. I, I do want to thank you both for joining me today. This is always a fun topic to cover, and there's always a lot of you know, like interesting dialogue that comes from it. So thank you again both for joining me. Thank you for having us. Sharing Knowledge is brought to you by Westfield Bank, hosted by Kevin Vondro, Chief Lending Officer. From the imagination and creativity of Chris Van Osdale, Erica Bailey, Suzanne Favre, Corinne Wilson, Kartika Caffey, the Marketing and Communications Strategist at Westfield Bank. Produced, edited, and mixed by Shark and Minnow. Learn more at westfield-bank.com forward slash SKS. Sharing knowledge and shedding light on the financial industry to empower financial freedom. The Sharing Knowledge series of videos, podcast episodes, and articles are for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as legal, tax, financial investment, accounting, or regulatory advice. Opinions expressed and third-party information shared herein do not reflect the opinions of Westfield Bank, Westfield Group, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. The information shared does not constitute nor is intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any product or service. 
Testimonials may not be representative of the experience of other customers and are not guarantees of future performance or success. Bank products and services provided by Westfield Bank, member FDIC, an equal opportunity lender. Securities and advisory services offered through Cetera Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, a broker-dealer, and registered investment advisor. Cetera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Freeman Heine Toma and FHT Advisors are registered trade names of Freeman Heine Toma, LLC, an Ohio limited liability company. Investment products are not FDIC insured, are not bank guaranteed, may lose value, are not a deposit, are not insured by any federal or state government agency. Westfield Bank does not provide legal advice.